The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go Beyond Reality. Welcome to the program. It's Beyond Reality. I kind of forgot something there, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll make up for it, I promise. Anyway, uh, we've got a great show for you tonight. We're going to be talking with Dr. Paul Leslie tonight. We'll be talking about the strange appearance of paranormal phenomena that can occur in psychotherapy sessions. Dr. Paul Leslie is a psychotherapist, an author, and an educator. It's going to be a, a fascinating discussion. Um, let's see. I don't really have a whole lot to go over tonight. I do want you to subscribe on the YouTube channel and the Twitch channel. It's something that's really, really important to uh, be part of our online community, and it's easy to do. Go to YouTube, search for JV Johnson. When you find it, subscribe. And do the same thing on Twitch. Search for JV Johnson and subscribe there. And uh, with those subscriptions, you get uh, the opportunity to be part of our online community. And do remember that our weekend shows will ultimately only be on Twitch and not be on YouTube. It's just a little bit more of an appropriate audience, or not audience, but platform, I guess it is, for the weekend shows on Twitch. Yeah, okay, so let's go to break. Let's get our guest on the line, and let's start having this discussion. I'm anxious to get it going. Again, Dr. Paul Leslie will be with us tonight to talk about the strange appearance of paranormal phenomena that can occur in psychotherapy sessions. That's tonight's conversation on Beyond Reality. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash joha. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the program. It's Beyond Reality. I'm your host, JV. Thanks for being along with us tonight. As I mentioned, we're going to be talking about a very interesting topic this evening. We're going to be talking about the strange appearance of paranormal phenomena that can occur in psychotherapy sessions. Our guest tonight, Dr. Paul Leslie, is a psychotherapist, an author, and an educator. Paul, welcome to Beyond Reality. It's really great to have you with me tonight. Well, I'm honored to be speaking with you. Thank you. All right, so I've got to ask, because this may betray my naivete or maybe just even ignorance, but what's the difference between psychotherapy or a psychotherapist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, all these words that begin with psych, what's the difference of, with, between all of those? Okay, well, first, a psychiatrist is a medical doctor, and a medical doctor's a uh, who specialize in the treatment of mental health issues. Uh, most psychiatrists, not all, but most psychiatrists uh, today generally treat uh, uh, using medication. Uh, a psychologist, uh, there's many different types of psychologists. There's clinical and counseling psychologists uh, who, do, who can do therapy, but there's also experimental psychologists, developmental psychologists, who are uh, researchers, so they, they don't do therapy. Now, a psychotherapist is uh, someone that could be a psychologist, like my doctorate's in counseling psychology, uh, but I, I frequently call myself a psychotherapist because that's where my specialty is. But uh, any mental health professional that's licensed to do therapy or counseling, uh, we could kind of put in that category of psychotherapist. 
So then a psychiatrist deals, and you said prescribes in many cases medication to deal with a uh, a mental illness issue. A psychologist isn't dealing with mental illness, but instead is dealing with, um, I don't know what we would call them. I mean, you probably have words for them, but uh, more of like emotional problems or, or situational problems? Uh, well, it, it, most uh, psychologists uh, or psychotherapists, you know, that's they're working out of, mm-hmm. uh, may, may treat a lot of the same uh, patients, clients as psychiatrists. They okay. just do it through the traditional talk therapy route. I see. Okay. That makes a little bit more sense. And you are a psychotherapist. Um, that's your professional training. What came first for you, this interest in the paranormal or your work as a psychotherapist? Uh, definitely my interest as a psychotherapist. Uh, my, uh, I've always been intrigued with, with strange things, but uh, not anywhere near uh, you know what? What I've recently been researching and writing about. Uh, I'm fairly left brain, linear thinker, so all of this is a, is a little bit uh, new to me in, in this realm. Because when I got started in the field, uh, I was interested in, in the you know how the brain works, how you know human behavior and emotion function together, and uh, it's it, most of my training is from a very um, I'll call it a materialist view. Of, um, of of emotional and mental health, meaning that uh, it's our thoughts and actions uh, that you know, drive what we're doing, based a lot of times on uh, materialist explanations, such as neurochemicals and environment and those kind of things. So this whole idea that there's this um, unseen realm of consciousness, you know, was, it was not something that was really on my radar. When you were training and going to school to become a uh, psychologist, a psychotherapist, uh, what were these paranormal ideas? Were they considered taboo? Were they not discussed? Were they considered to be, um, you know, the stuff of, of, of um, you know, uh, just story, night, nighttime stories? Was it ever really taught or considered in a professional sense as you were being trained as a psychotherapist? I mean, for the most part, no. Uh, it was uh, if it was even brought up, it was usually uh, signs of a uh, negative symptom. So uh, that's unfortunately the problem with a lot of of my field is that you know we we deal in problems. So anything that's within the frame of a problem, uh, a symptom, well, well, it's part of the problem. So if someone were to go to a, a therapist uh, who has been you know trained in, in the traditional way um, we really have to be careful making sure that the, the person who's maybe reporting anomalous strange or we'll call it paranormal phenomena uh, is not quickly dismissed as that they are just suffering from a psychosis or you know auditory or uh, visual hallucinatory experiences not saying that that might not be true, but it seemed like the automatic reaction was either the person was, uh, you know, ill or that uh, they're making something up. And so it was just rarely talked about in any of my training. And even out of graduate school, uh, it's not a topic that, that comes up that, uh, at least in a professional setting, that any kind of attention uh, has been paid to in a respectful and, dare I say, scientific view. I think it's fair to say uh, that uh, a good deal, and as somebody who has spent a, a great deal of my adult life uh, looking into paranormal topics, researching, 
doing investigating myself and working with a lot of people that have called for help because they are experiencing what they would call paranormal phenomena. It's pretty safe to say that a lot of people uh, are in, in some fashion manufacturing the problems themselves, whether it's internal, whether it's a projection, whatever it happens to be. But for a long time, um, people were even afraid to mention anything that they might be experiencing for fear of being ridiculed. That seems to be changing a little bit. Does it, is it changing in your profession too? Uh, I think there is some change, but I have not seen it as far as the United States goes. I know you have you know listeners worldwide, and right. I can tell you that from what I'm reading in the research, uh, there are some countries in Europe that are approaching this much uh, differently uh, than the United States. Now, I'm overgeneralizing because there are some wonderful therapists out there that are very open to talking about these things. And by the way, the research shows that our clients a lot of times want to talk about these things, but right. they're afraid of being labeled, uh, you know, as, as mentally ill or, or those kind of things. I, I just read a research uh, paper, I think, out of the Netherlands that said they had set up a special hotline for people who were uh, having emotional distress due to what they perceived as paranormal events. And I read another article uh, in, from uh, the U.K. that said that uh, a surprising number of therapists in anonymous surveys stated that they wanted to have more training in how to help people who were who they believed were, were suffering from these uh, strange experiences that they may be having. So, I mean, that gives me hope, but at the same time, I'm also a realist because, I mean, I see and talk to people who will instantly dismiss uh, people's experiences, and it's kind of sad because we're trained that we we create a safe space for clients, for them to talk about what's going on with them, and we try not to be judgmental, but unfortunately, uh, it's a knee-jerk reaction maybe due to our training or our fear of, uh, you know, looking unprofessional that we just kind of, you know, maybe jump in and, and look at it through a, path, uh, a pathology lens instead of saying, you know, this may be either a legitimate thing. And even if it's not a legitimate thing, isn't this person worthy of compassion and respect right. to tell their story? Right. That's a good point. Um, some people, um, clearly, uh, when they, talk about a paranormal experience they've had. And this seems to be the case, particularly when it comes to things like possession. And I mean, some of these really extreme cases, there's a, there's a clear reason to believe this might be either a mental illness or some other problem manifesting itself versus an actual paranormal experience. But then there, there are many that are kind of anomalous and you can't really define whether or not, you know, somebody says they saw a ghost. How can you dispute that? So when it comes to a mental health question, how do you separate, the two, and we may be getting ahead of ourselves in the conversation, but I'm curious: how do you define whether or not someone either is truly experiencing something that they have no proof of, or mm-hmm. they're having some other type of uh, either a mental illness issue or something uh, that is definitely not paranormal? Right, uh, and I think that's a very important to make that distinction um, because. Uh, it, Again, another study I've read uh, in a neuroscience journal uh, stated that half the population will generally have some form of an auditory or visual hallucination in their life. 
and it may just be a one-time thing that they can't explain. So if half the population is, is having some kind of auditory, visual, kinesthetic, hallucinatory experience, uh, you know, whether or not it's, it's real or not, that we need to be mindful of that because it's no longer abnormal. It may be the norm. Yeah. Uh, it's just I define when it be any kind of disorder, like a mental health disorder, is it causing the person distress? Is it uh, dysfunctional, as, as meaning that it's just disrupting their entire lives? And is it such a deviance from the norm? And if half the population's having this, I think maybe we need to all, in my field, have a conversation about what is truly abnormal and, and what isn't. So to, real quick, to, to kind of tie this in together to your question, is so if someone were to come into the office and say, look, I'm having anxiety because I believe my house is haunted, mm-hmm. well, after a thorough assessment uh, of them in general, they've never had this before until now. They don't have any other areas of their life where there are problems or they're having, you know, they're seeing, hearing, feeling things. It's only like hypothetically they, they just moved into this house six months ago. Um, you know, it's easy. I think it's easier to rule out, uh, you know, mental health issue. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to believe that the house is haunted right. because it may be, you know, something else. But to immediately dismiss it, oh, well, you're just making it up, or you obviously have a mental health issue and you need help, that knee-jerk reaction, I think just a wall goes up, and I think we hurt more people than we can help. Let's talk about paranormal as a word for a minute here. Uh, In terms of the conversation that we're going to continue to have tonight, how would you define paranormal? Well, uh I actually was asked on an interview I did recently about um, why didn't you use paranormal in uh, the title of your, your book and used anomalous. And I, the only reason for me paranormal is I didn't use is because it's become kind of a charged word. And the reason I say that is um, you turn on the television now and every other show seems to be yeah. called a paranormal show. <laughs> it's true. And, uh, and, you know, some of them are, are very legitimate and good, and, I, and you don't need to comment because I know you're, you're fairly close to some <laughs> people there. But, uh, and, and some of those are, are legitimate and, and all of that, but then others, you know, it's, it's television. So I felt that that's such a, a charged word, I kind of moved away from it. But to, to kind of elaborate on the question, whatever the norm is for me, uh, you know, para meaning, you know, kind of like outside, mm-hmm. above the norm. So if somebody happens to have an experience of, you know, they're, they're sitting there reading a book and uh, they have a, somebody flash in their mind that they haven't talked to in five years, and then five minutes later the telephone rings and it's that person, that we could actually call that a paranormal experience. Now, some people say, well, it's too strong a word, but if we're saying that it's just outside the norm, uh, first of all, we need to make distinction what's the norm and what's not, but if it's outside the the agreed-upon socially constructed norm, uh, that would be a paranormal uh, experience. It doesn't always have to be, uh, you know, specters or, you know, psychic phenomena that's extreme. So I think you know, there, there's more of a blurry line between normal and paranormal 
uh, than we than we kind of would like to think. And in terms of the type of phenomena that someone might come into your office or a similar professional's office and talk about where you have to weigh these things we've, we've discussed, mental health issues versus actual uh, experiences, uh, that can take the form of, as you said, ghosts, specters, maybe uh, alien encounters, abduction uh, stories, uh, Bigfoot encounters. I mean, it can, it can run the gamut, right? Yeah, it can, but uh, I found that generally, uh, you know, I've only had a couple of experiences with, with clients uh, in this realm, but other people I've talked to, it tends to focus more around, and it can certainly be any of that, but it tends to focus more around issues, emotional uh, issues related to either uh, the, the unseen presences mm-hmm. or um, just not being able to I put this not being able to feel like um, things are are as they should be. So it's like something's off in their life, and it feels more like a <clears throat> pardon me a spiritual uh, issue than a physical issue. Uh, those tend to be the two that, that jump out. Now, I've had colleagues who have had um, experiences with people who claim to you know. Have had been had alien abduction, and that, but they tend to be gravitate more to the professionals who do um, that kind of work with clinical hypnosis and, and those things. And we always have to be careful, um, you know, sta- stating that those are factual because the mind is so powerful; it can can do all kinds of things and make us believe whatever. But uh, yeah, it's certainly it, whatever is affecting the person emotionally that could be a catalyst to seek help if, and this is my big thing that I'm working on here, is if they feel comfortable talking to a mental health professional about it, and unfortunately, most people just don't. Really? Often you'd think that the 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 office of a professional such as yourself would be would be a safe haven and i know we talked about this just a few minutes ago where it doesn't always work out that way but if they were willing to talk about it anywhere it seemed like that'd be the place but they're afraid right they're afraid of being yeah. labeled quote unquote crazy yeah. yeah oh exactly and you know i have a a short story an example and a sad one to to to, to tell you about is that here locally i had a, a friend who uh, she lady was getting divorced, and her daughter uh, was uh, about 16, 17 years old, and it was a hard time for the daughter. So the, uh, the the friend of mine asked for a referral, and I said, well, I hear this person's good. And so the daughter went to talk to this uh, counselor or whoever, therapist, and uh, everything was going good for the first two or three sessions. And then on the third session, the daughter started opening up to the therapist to talk about there's some weird things that happen at my house and lights turning on and off, things moving, you know, all this kind of, I guess we call it maybe poltergeist activity. Mm-hmm. And uh, after the session, the therapist called the mother and said, this is what's going on. I think we may need to start talking about medication. And so the mother was uh, called me up and was very upset and said, Paul, I, I can't believe this because this, I mean, she's wanting to put my daughter on medicine. And I told her that I've been experiencing the same things in the house. I just never wanted to scare my daughter and tell her. So they've both been experiencing the same thing independent of each other. But this therapist made a 
in my opinion, a very bad call, a jump to thinking that because what was happening to this uh, young girl had to be something that was of a psychotic nature, that, you know, she should be on medication and recommended she go talk to a psychiatrist. Well, not only did they not go back to that therapist, they never sought uh, help further. So this young girl started to make progress, and the progress ended because the therapist was a little closed-minded and maybe just jumped to an extreme due to maybe the therapist's discomfort with the topic. Now, what I don't know what you can share and what you can't with that particular story, but what would be the type of uh, paranormal, we'll call it, uh, phenomena or experiences that someone would relate that would make a therapist jump to medication? Uh, it seems like it would have to be pretty pretty extreme for that to happen, well, or maybe not. Yeah, yeah well, it, I think in this case, I believe that this particular um, therapist, maybe her religious belief. Mm we're a certain, so we, we, we're supposed to check our biases at the door, but we're all human and have them. Right. And I think when you maybe you have a, a belief that anything that goes on like that has to be either uh, you're either crazy or it's the you know, tool of the, of the, the devil. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you're pretty sure the girl isn't in league with the devil, so the, the, the obvious option would be that you know, she's needing medication. So... Um, and again, that's that's a bias we have to check. But for for some people, uh, would even recommend if someone is seeing uh, things that other people can't see. But there's also a cultural uh, thing we have to keep in mind because I know in Haiti, I had read about um, after a loved one dies, that loved one it's totally fine and accepted that they're going to come back to visit for you know six months to a year after they die until they fully transition and. So if you're talking somebody from Haiti in a therapist's office and they yeah. say, well, I saw grandma and grandma's mm-hmm. been dead for three months, um, that's part of the culture. And, and we need to not impose our kind of cultural uh, mindset upon them. Paul, do you mind if I ask what your personal opinion is of paranormal phenomena in general? Are you a believer that this is real or do you believe there is are non-paranormal explanations for it all? Uh, I, I, I'd like to say yes to both, <laughs> uh, because uh, I, I gotta tell you, it's it has been a real strange and wild uh, journey, my friend. Because initially, I would have said most of this is is due to, and I think a part of me still believes most of this is just due to mistakes people make. Right. Uh, if you're watching paranormal TV all the time, any bump in the night, it's normal for our mind to maybe jump to conclusions. But, um, you know, I think the turning point for me was I kind of had my own experience one time Mm. and only one time in a therapy session. And it was so unexpected and just overwhelming and surreal that I had to kind of change my Mind, not to not say, okay, I believe it's, you know, absolutely everything in the paranormal is real, uh, but it just, it, it kind of said, okay, there's something going on that I can't explain. So whether I want to believe it's, it's ghosts or, or uh, you know, ESP or, or whatever it is, then, you, you know, I have to admit, whatever the origin of it, something is happening for some people. 
And uh, I, so I, I kind of I'm ag- I'm agnostic. I don't want to believe anything. I want to know, but wow. uh, it's it's just a real tricky thing, you know. Can you share your experience with us? Uh, yeah, and, and you know what? It, this is part of my therapy. You, what, JV, what you and I are doing right now, you're my therapist. Because, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I've I've been on doing the the circuit and talking about this stuff. It's been really hard for me to tell this story. So the more that I I say it. I kind of kind of work through my own stuff. I had a uh, a client uh, several years ago who I'm just in the book I call her Janet, and uh, Janet I really liked her. I've been working with her for a very uh, long time, and I'm I'm fairly brief therapist, so uh, she was suffering from a severe bipolar uh, disorder, bipolar one, which can be very debilitating, and she had a lot of shame and grief. Uh, about uh, her condition because, you know, her she she felt, you know, ashamed because her family saw that she it was hard for her to hold a job, it was hard for her to, you know, function. And uh, she was most uh, upset because her father, who had died several years ago, or long before I met her, uh, never got to see that she was getting better. She had, you know, started with a good psychiatrist. She was coming to see me. She was getting better. So one day she just was you know, kind of distraught in a way. It might have been her father's uh, birthday or something. I don't know what it was, and started talking about him, and we never really talked about him much. And uh, to make the long story as short as I can, she was kind of overwhelmed with the emotion. And so I kind of did a a technique from uh, a type of psychotherapy called gestalt therapy in which we point to an empty chair for people who can't be there. And I said, now, Janet, if your father was sitting in this empty chair that I pointed to that was beside me, you know, what would, what do you think he'd say to you? And, J.V., the weirdest thing is, as soon as I said that, I literally felt the presence of someone sit in that chair. Oh, wow. And, yeah, I've, I've just never experienced it. And there is, like, some kind of thing came over me. Uh, I, I, I started... Like my eyes started watering. I started feeling like I was crying, which is something I never do in therapy sessions. I'm sure. usually pretty professional. And she looked at me and she said, are you okay? And I, 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 I don't even, I, there's, there's stuff, you know, so much was going on. But I said, Janet, I feel like, I don't know, your father's here. And I, it's like I'm hearing myself say it. So it's almost like I'm not even saying it, but it's coming out of my mouth. And then I got an image of two things in my mind, vividly. One was a, a type of ice cream called a push-up. Yeah, I'm, uh, mm-hmm, sure. Yeah, if your if your uh, listeners know, it's it's a circular kind of sherbet ice cream that you push the bottom and and eat out of the top, and a lake. So I saw a push-up ice cream and a lake, and then I I said, Janet, does it, a push-up mean anything to you? And her jaw dropped, and she said, My God, my father used to take me to the lake, and he would always buy me push-up ice cream when I was a little girl. And I would pretend to put it on like it was lipstick, and we'd always laugh, (laughs) and that was our thing. And at this point, I felt like I was not... It sounds so... And here's the the psychotherapist saying this. It sounds so psychotic, (laughs) but I, I felt like... I stood up, but I felt like my body wasn't my own, and I stood up and I opened my arms, like to embrace her. And I usually don't hug my clients. Sure. 
and 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 she, I mean, she was crying. I was crying, and, and I embraced her. And it was almost like her dad was hugging her. And and as soon as that, you know, few seconds of embrace was over, it's like the room had changed. And we sat down, and she looked at me, and says, "Are you clairvoyant?" And I don't even know what I said because I was just in shock. And somehow I got through the session. And, uh, you know, it's, as far as in therapy, we never talked about it again and, and it, it never happened again. And I won't, and I'll say this at every interview, I want your listeners to know, do not contact me to, uh, connect you with your departed loved ones. I'm not psychic. That only happened one time, thankfully, uh-huh. and only one time. But I tell you, after having that happen, and I kept this quiet for years, my friend. And it was only when I talked to a colleague I trusted that I kind of had my confessional moment. And she told me, uh, and she's a very respected therapist, she says, Paul, I've had the same thing happen. Really? And at that point, yeah, at that point, I was like, number one, thank God I'm not insane. <laughs> number two, if she's having this, I wonder who else has. And that's what kind of led me on this journey to start talking to other therapists who have had people bring in their stories but also what have these therapists themselves experienced? And so it, it's, like I say, it's been a wild and strange uh, journey and, and one that apparently isn't over, but uh, it, it's definitely changed my uh, worldview a little bit. So if you haven't had that experience again since that time, and you didn't have it prior to that, it was kind of an isolated incident, what do you think caused it? Do you think it had something to do with the with the patient that you were working with? Do you think somehow you just were more open to it on that particular day than you ever had been and never uh, never that open again? Uh, any explanation come through come through your mind, even if it's an, just an opinion or a guess? Yeah, I, yeah, this is my opinion at the moment. So if we talk next week, I may have a different one because okay. I'm still trying to figure it out. But yeah. kind of, I'm not yet at the place where I believe that uh, her father was working through me. That there's disembodied dead spirits. I mean, and, and if it, a lot of people do, and if you do, that's fine. I'm not judging you. It's just I'm not there yet. I guess I'm more inclined to believe that when two people are resonating at a certain deep emotional connection. Because when you're in therapy, if you're with a good therapist and you're, as the client, willing to open up, there is the most intimate relationship you'll ever have emotionally because you're supposed to be as honest and and transparent and feel free to be who you are. When two people are operating at that deep level and it's an emotionally intense I believe, at least at this moment, what I'm trying to kind of figure out, my explanation, is that there may be, you know, even William James, the early American father of psychology, um, talked about how the brain uh, acts as a filter of information. And we don't take in all the information that's out there because if we took in every piece of information, our head would explode. Right. You know, it's just yeah. can't. And But certain times of stress, of upset, of trauma, uh, whatever it is, surprise, that filter kind of opens up a little bit. And as a result, this new other information that might not 
be available might be available. So possibly there was a grid between me and and Janet of information, and that at that moment I was able to, without it's totally unconscious, this flood of her emotion leaked over into my emotional reservoir at the unconscious level and started appearing uh, to where. I was able to detect this, and it came as a, so intensely that maybe I perceived it as as a, a spirit. And again, I'm not ruling out that that you know it could have been that, but mm-hmm. where I'm at now, I'm more inclined to think that as I'm beginning to believe consciousness being non-local, meaning it, it it's not just in my brain. It's like a meeting of consciousness that only seems to happen for some people at certain key times and certain key conditions. Yeah, and I think that that's an idea that's gaining a lot of traction among people who consider these things more closely than I do, uh, because I've had a lot of folks on the program who have started to explain it that way and connect the dots that way. It makes it makes it a, a very interesting conversation. Uh, we're going to go to break here in just a minute, but um, we're talking with Dr. Paul Leslie. He's the author of a book that we're going to be talking about as well called Shadows in the Session, the presence of the anomalous in psychotherapy. When did you write the book, Paul? Uh, the the book has really been over the last uh, year or two of uh, collecting a lot of narratives from other therapists who had had similar, uh, in, as far as similar as in paranormal or strange phenomena, but different um, uh, episodes. With their clients, so it's it's a base. I look at the literature. Uh, I found out a lot of the secret history uh, of the early days of psychology was actually tied to psychic phenomena and things mm-hmm. like that. I've I've been on this whole wow. I'm learning so much about my field over the last year or two. And then when I got all these stories, uh, it just came together really quick. So this is a fairly fairly new look. And and to be honest, not to toot my own horn here, but I. I I think I'm one of the few people who've even approached this topic of how this shows up in psychotherapy, and I really hope that I'm not the last. Thank you for being with us tonight. We've got a great conversation underway with Dr. Paul Leslie. Dr. Paul Leslie is a psychotherapist. He's also an author and an educator. His book is called Shadows in the Session, The Presence of the Anomalous in Psychotherapy. And uh, we've been talking about the book and his work and the idea that uh, paranormal phenomena crosses some lines, particularly as it relates to Dr. Paul Leslie's profession as a psychotherapist. Um, Paul, the, the book, if someone was to just kind of walk off the bus today uh, and didn't know anything about what we're talking about, how would you describe it to them? Uh, basically, it's, it's an exploration of the... It's partially the hidden history of uh, research of what we used to call psychical research, or, uh, paranormal research, and psychology, and how these things manifest in the you know hidden rooms of psychotherapy sessions and are rarely talked about. I mean, I've never gone to a conference and heard anything about it. So the the byline would be that, and you know that's it's. Just so interesting to me that we've had this whole history of psychology that has been built up as a as a science. And uh, but if you really start looking and doing some investigating, the early foundations of our field of psychology 
had a lot of influence of um, psychical research. Um, the funny thing I just found out is that the first, uh, I'm sorry, the second and the third international congresses of psychology that happened in the late 1800s, turn of the century, half the panel was about psychical research, what we call today parapsychology. So for a couple of years, uh, many of the um, top uh, figures who were developing the field of psychology, technically psychology as a field didn't really start to like, I think 1876 or 1879, so it's still a fairly new field compared to, like, mathematics. But it was all in there, and then there became this great whitewashing of our history to where that was the fringe, or or we call it the pseudoscience now and and all of that, but yet the early psychical researchers' influence in psychology actually led to the tightening of research protocols uh, qualitative research uh, arrangements, all these things that have just been kind of hidden. And I'm, I'm hoping that in addition to telling the stories about therapists who unexpectedly had uh, strange phenomena happen, that, you know, we can also open our eyes a little bit to this kind of uh, hidden history of the paranormal and paranormal research and the impact it had in some of the early days of psychology. There is a, a trend uh, in the medical community, um, particularly in um, uh, ICU situations and doctors who are caring for uh, terminally ill patients to start telling stories about the moment of, of death of some of their patients and phenomena that occurs in the room uh, during the process. It's, it's fascinating, and it sounds to me like you're starting to open the door uh, for something very, very similar, but as it relates to your profession. Yeah, I think I think there's some similarity there. It's really funny to me. It's that you know, uh, a lot of uh, medical professionals are generally seen as very uh, linear and um, scientific, which they are. But I'm finding that you know, you talk into the nurses and the doctors, like say in the ER, and, and a lot of uh, stories when uh, nobody's around to hear that that you'll hear from them a lot of times, about these strange things that, that happen. Um, I have uh, two sister-in-laws that are nurses, and it's just interesting what you hear yeah. and what they're more open to believe than they really will let on. Let's put it that way. So. Why? Uh, how, how, when you started to approach some of your colleagues with these ideas, what would you say the dividing line was for those who would be willing to talk about it versus those who say, oh, that's, that's phooey, that's hooey? Well, the, the ones who, you know, say that's phooey and all that, and that's perfectly entitled to that. I hate to admit that, but that was me before my experience. Right, sure. So, you know, I respect that. But I think um, the big thing that I helped in getting some of their stories uh, into print was that I gave them the complete anonymity in reporting these stories that I would give of when I'm writing in, in one of my psychotherapy books about a client, you know, because ethically I can't say names and identifying information. So I just told, you know, if you tell me your story, I, you know, I will give you my word that your name, your location, um, you know. So, for example, somebody who is, uh, you, you know, and out on the Pacific Northwest, 
uh, I'll just say they're on the Pacific Northwest. I'm not going to tell you what city they're in, you know, because people are so worried about uh, being seen as flaky or unprofessional, or, you know, maybe they're a little uh, off themselves. And when, you know, it's a, it's a tough uh, tightrope to walk when you're trying to maintain uh, what we call professional credibility. Yeah. And you may not want to be seen by some as, well, he, she's as, you know, crazier than his patients kind of thing. <laughs> um, so, uh, but, so there was, there was a lot of hesitancy. And honestly, I believe there's probably so much more out there uh, that, uh, you know, I, I haven't heard about. And it's probably a lot of people just hesitant to, to tell their story. Did you have any colleagues who you feel maybe changed their opinion of you when you asked these questions? As, as far as the ones who are telling me the stories or just no, in general? No, you know, any any of them that would have said, oh, that's hooey, uh, did they look at oh, you okay. a little differently after that at all? I mean, did you feel any of that? Uh, yeah, a few of them. Um, but uh, it's been more surprise. Uh, you know, they're kind of like, you? You know, yeah. <laughs> they know, they know me as the scholar and the researcher. The, you know, it's kind of like, you know, uh, hearing that your, 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 your brother, uh, you know, has, has, has always been the, you know, the perfect child has, you know, decided to, to leave his wife and family and go join the circus. They're like, what's you? Come on. And so that, that's what I've, a few I've gotten. And again, I, nobody's, said to my face, you know, I think you're a Looney Tune or you're really harming the profession. I mean, I, you know, and I can't control that anyway, but right. I think it's been more of surprise by some, or maybe, you know, after I leave the room, they kind of smile at each other and go, well, you know, there he is, you know, the, 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 the uh, paranormal <laughs> guy or whatever. I don't know. At what point did there, that divergence take place where, uh, psychoanalysis, psychotherapy, and um, parapsychology uh, split, where they were no longer something you could discuss in the same sentence. Did, was that rather, rather recent? No, it's actually go way back in the beginning days of psychology. There's always been an uneasy uh, interaction between psychical researchers and people who were calling themselves psychologists. Okay. Before that, I think called them alienists, you know, before. But Really, when psychology became its own field, it's a bit uneasy. Um, it, a funny uh, thing is that uh, so many of the people who are still in the textbooks uh, were generally the ones who were not friendly to psychical research. Um, you know, it's funny because when I teach general psychology, which is Psychology 101 at the local college where I teach, um, I noticed that there's just a very small portion of information about William James, who we consider, uh, you know, the first real great American psychologist and one of the most brilliant people in, in the history of the United States. Mm -hmm. Well, he started his lab at Harvard, at psychology lab, in 1876. Well, the textbooks list Wilhelm Wundt, who was very scientific and not friendly to the paranormal, as the father of psychology, and his lab opened in 1879. Hmm. So there's, so now you know James actually technically should be the first, but James was so into 
all areas of human emotion, behavior. He wrote, um, he's a philosopher, and he was also interested in psychical research, and he was a great scientist. He was very pragmatic in his research, but because he was going there, he lost his reputation uh, in the last part of his, his uh, career. He was uh, maligned in print by colleagues of his who had been supportive of him uh, before. I mean, the guy was an absolute genius, but yet, you know, he had this black, you know, mark uh, on him by people who were like, well, that's not the, the purpose of psychology. Now, if we go into, just jump ahead, go into uh, the person who's most famous uh, for psychotherapy, which is Sigmund Freud. Freud was absolutely, uh, I mean, just committed to keeping all aspects of what he called the occult out of psycho, uh, psychoanalysis, which was his creation, because he wanted it to be a straight science. But here's the thing, J.V., we find out that in secret, Freud was very interested in anomalous phenomena, and he was conducting private telepathy research with his daughter, Anna, and Salvador Ferenzi, who was his Hungarian representative. And they were doing these private uh, research uh, into ESP, and, and you know, none of this was supposed to see the light of day because he didn't want any of the paranormal stuff creeping into his field because he thought that it would, he wanted it to be like the next phase in medicine, you know, the next right. big scientific movement. And any, any little bit of information that got out about that uh, was not a good thing. I mean, he even persecuted people in his own circle who were interested in things like that. And, uh, and then we find out he was also a member of the Society for Psychical Research. And so there's, so it's like these double lives that people are living. So even then there was that split of, well, let's not, even though we're approaching this scientifically, because most of the people who formed the Society of Psychical Research in the U.K. were scientists. Some were Nobel Prize winners. So they had a real interest in learning, researching, and experimentation. But that's kind of gotten written out of any of the, the, the general psychology textbooks that I've seen. What are some of the phenomena that you've heard stories of? We've, we heard your story, which was fascinating. Uh, but in talking to other professionals, what are some of those tales that they shared? There's, there's a multitude of different ones, but the ones that are most consistent tend to center around uh, telepathic kind of ESP, uh, visionary, uh, or just uh, what I call the somatic uh, experience of uh, other. So they feel something or they, you know, they may see something or they get, uh, and they being the therapist, getting the uh, image of certain uh, things in their mind. Here's an example. There was a therapist I interviewed who she said one day uh, she was just taking a coffee break. And as she was doing that, uh, this client just like an image just flashed in her mind, and it's like she was just like a picture of the client in distress. Her face was in distress, and she felt this very, uh, very strongly about her client. And she hadn't seen this client in six months. They had actually finished their therapy, and the client had met the goals and gone on. And for the whole day, it has it was just bothering her, and she had this feeling that she would, should I call her? But I shouldn't call her because there's no reason to call her, and you know, and uh, that's. You know, 
and, and then what happened, uh, either, I can't remember, it was either later that day or the next day, that client called because something, uh, called for an appointment because something traumatic had happened to her mm-hmm. around that, that, that day or so. And so here's this therapist picking up this information. And then, like I said, maybe that in that deep relationship they had, there was some kind of that information, you know, like non-local consciousness happened and, and and the next thing you know here's the client out of the blue having gone through something personally traumatic and needing to talk to her again so uh, there, there's a lot of those there have been some to where people uh who who are working with uh, clients these, these therapists uh, might get like they hear things like someone talks to them and says mm-hmm. ask about this and and they're startled and they look around and, and then when they you know, regain their composure, they actually ask about it, and it opens up this whole realm uh, to help the client that they would never have. I mean, talk, talk about something totally random, yeah, you know? Right. Um, so, and in some cases, there have been reports, uh, and there's one or two of uh, what we call the uh, psychokinetic uh, things moving in the office when the emotional release happens in the client. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in, in one case, uh, it's in a way, it was funny because the person who I interviewed was so uh, kind of a rigid person, a rigid clinician, nice guy, but, I mean, he wanted to be an engineer, you know, but somebody decides to go into psychology. Uh, he actually saw shadow of somebody standing behind his client. Oh, wow. That felt when the client was talking about his, her departed mother, and he even wondered if that was the mother, which left him really shaken. Now, for the listeners... Don't worry if you're going to see your therapist. <laughs> this does not happen all the time. This rarely happens. But uh, apparently sometimes these things can seem to show up. You know, I um, I would have to think that if there can be one, I don't know how it would be. I don't, do, do psychotherapists generally video uh, their sessions, or is that not something that you're supposed to do? Uh, no, you only... Um, to, to help with confidentiality, you would only video, um, you know, with the, obviously the client's permission. But, right. You know, most people would prefer not to be on sure, video. Sure, sure. I'm just, I just would have to say though, if if any one of those stories mm-hmm. where, particularly where something moved on its own, some kind of telekinesis, psychokinesis situation in one of these sessions, uh, and that could be proven to be authentic, that's that that right there would kind of close be case closed as far as whether this phenomena actually exists or not well it would certainly uh help i just don't know if we could ever really close uh the the case on on any of it and and what i mean is the problem with all of this stuff is that if it is indeed tied to consciousness the way we do anything is by using our consciousness. Right. So we're trying to study consciousness by using consciousness. I mean, this is like the M.C. Escher drawing of the hand that, yeah. you know, draws mm-hmm. itself. Right. So I don't know if we can ever have a definitive, uh, you know, say this is it. Now, we could watch the video, but again, you know, there's probably been a lot of videos that may be legitimate but aren't taken seriously sure. because, you know, uh, it always calls into question. And then when you have uh, professional skeptics, whom I actually believe it's important to have those people to keep, you know, honesty going. 
but sometimes when they're overzealous in dismissing anything that's outside their belief, uh, you know, it, I don't know if we could ever, even with compelling evidence, uh, say, yep, case closed. But it certainly certainly would help having some, some good video. When you looked into these stories, had these conversations with other professionals, did you see any kind of pattern as it relates to the clients? And I know that you you know can only get so much information due to confidentiality, and that's very important. But at the same time, did you see any patterns? For example, we're all always told from a uh, paranormal research perspective that uh, poltergeist activities takes generally occurs when there's a uh, adolescent female in a home or involved. Uh, anything like that, any patterns jump out at you that uh, you could point to? The, the biggest pattern, when I looked at all the things I had, uh, had heard and received and, and, you know, even with my own experience is most of the time there was, it was a time of heightened emotion. And I don't mean where somebody's, you know, freaking out, but to where the emotional defenses come down and someone is exhibiting emotion to where it's like it's coming up from them. So uh, in that scenario where the, the therapist you know, was just seeing the strange shadow, the emotion was coming up from this client of grief at the death of her mother. Uh, in another case where something moved in, in an office I spoke about earlier, the, the therapist said that the um, the client was uh, emotion was coming up, but the client had a habit, a protective measure, to almost like push the emotion down to not feel. And so this therapist had a lamp move, you know, fall off the table where there's no reason where that should happen. And she believed, and again, I'm not saying what's true and what's not. I'm just going on what I'm told here. But she believed that the the emotion was so intense that when the client tried to push it down to control it, uh, it, it got dispersed. And uh, that goes back to that whole thing about, you know, the having an adolescent with high-intense emotion in a home with poltergeist activity. But, again, it's, it's emotion. Uh, there has to be, in all of these cases, between the therapist and the client or clients, a openness of connection. That's the other thing, because uh, I didn't hear anything to where it's, the first session, and they were just doing the intake form. It's usually when there's been a therapeutic relationship of trust, comfort, and that uh, emotional wall comes down. Those tend to be the, the most consistent patterns I can see. I've, I'm fascinated by the use of the word emotion there. And one of the reasons I'm fascinated by that is when we go to investigate a haunting or when somebody, we have a lot of other paranormal investigators on the program, and they relate the story of a haunting that they've investigated or an experience they've had. And I often ask the question, I say, what do you, why do you think that particular place is haunted? And frequently, and let's use the Gettysburg battlefield as an example. Mm -hmm. We get a lot of stories from Gettysburg. Uh, when I ask the question, it's because there's so much emotion, because that battle, you know, the, the soldiers being pitted against each other and dying in a field, uh, there's so much emotion. And or or somebody dies in a car accident and there's a haunting related to that. There, you know, it's such a tragedy and there's so much there's an emotional imprint on that area or the same thing with a, with a haunting in somebody's home, you know, 
grandma haunts this place because she loved it. It's the emotion. That word keeps coming up in all of this. And I find it fascinating that we're talking about people that are experiencing something from the living standpoint and their emotion seems to be uh, a catalyst for this other activity. Right. Well, one, one thing that's interesting to kind of tie into that is you'll find a lot of times in the research, people who experience higher levels of strange paranormal phenomena, not all of them, but a lot of them have had early trauma. Now, when we go through trauma, that is an, an intense emotional experience. Right. And sometimes to survive trauma, we have to disassociate from our emotions to survive. So that disassociative quality of emotion, being able to be in the emotion, not in the emotion, may be tied into those uh, individuals' abilities uh, you know, to maybe that filter of information, maybe that uh, that grid is more accessible because they're able to disassociate and then reassociate to the emotion, particularly intensity. Um, so rather than looking at it as, well, that's a pathology due to uh, the trauma, I'm just kind of, you know, out loud conjecturing that sure. possibly the trauma uh, loosened their their filter a little bit, so they get more information than maybe the, the rest of us. Particularly, a, you know, like you know me, a, a hard hard headed kind of <laughs> linear thinker, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, who hasn't had that experience. So in that realm, you know, that then the emotion content is is very important. When you have clients that are talking about paranormal experiences that they are experiencing outside of your meeting with them in their home, wherever it happens to be. What are the best ways that you as a psychotherapist or any other therapist for that matter can help people that are experiencing those things? And and this is after, of course, you've ruled out uh, some other situation. Well, I would say this, and, and like I say, I have not dealt with a lot of people who you know, do this. I don't specialize. I don't put a shingle on and say, I'm the paranormal therapist. <laughs> right. But, but, uh, when it does happen, I, I just, if, and, and by the way, I'm sure right now there's some therapists listening to this program and I know you're out there. So if you're listening, yeah. here's my advice for you. If you get somebody and you've done the, like Jamie said, the rule out, then, you know, it's whatever they're dealing with, they're dealing here with that term emotion. So if I believe my house is haunted and I'm, and I'm stuck and I'm frightened, I'm having issues with anxiety. What are we trained to do is to help people with their anxiety. So your tools haven't changed. Your, your judgment just needs to be put aside. And if you cannot rule out that strange things are happening, then you may need to enter your client's world with compassion. And it may even say, look, I don't know if your house is haunted or not. I might not even believe in ghosts, but this is obviously upsetting you. So let's work on some tools to handle that upset, to maybe feel more empowered in your situation. If you're depressed because you feel trapped, I mean, that's where we come, uh, you know, into this uh, profession to help people. So I don't know why we would have to change too much of what we're doing other than just and I sound like a broken record, and I apologize to the listeners, but just keep the judgment uh, in check and, and just that compassion and give that open space for people to be 
who they are. Can I ask this question? And if, if it's inappropriate, just tell me, uh, in your conversations with other therapists and maybe in your personal experiences, have you had anybody that has come to you claiming there have some kind of possession situation going on? Uh, I have not had that. No. However, uh, I, I've had uh, a colleague who um, I've had actually two colleagues. Uh, one who uh, is uh, was involved for a little while, uh, studying to be a priest, and uh, then went into journalism, but still kind of works in that realm of dealing with uh, those cases. And he said that they, uh, the local hospital, mental hospital. Uh, sometimes they would rule out all the mental health stuff, and the psychologist and the psychiatrist would say, we can't do anything, there's weird stuff happening, call that guy, and don't tell anyone, and I'm not going to be here when he's here, to see if they could you know, do some kind of, I guess, an exorcism or something. But then I have another uh, colleague who, uh, he, he sees that, but we actually call that in psychology disassociative trance disorder. So, which the person feels like something has taken over their their bodies or their mind. Now, again, we have to be clear that if it's going to be a disorder, it has to be something that's causing the person distress and dysfunction in their life. I mean, on Sunday, some of the churches around here, I live in South Carolina, you go, and they're they're jumping up and down in the the uh, you know the, the the pews thinking the Holy Spirit's taking over their body and all of that. Yeah. And you know what? That may be so, maybe not. But you know, when they leave, they're able to function. Right. You know, it's so that's not a disorder. It's only when it's causing a lot of trouble. So, from the psychological professional, this person who claims to be possessed or feels they are is experiencing a disassociative trance disorder. Whereas my other colleague who went the other direction. He believes that there is a real thing such as uh, possession. And, uh, you know, the, for me, the jury's, uh, you know, I tend to lean toward the, uh, uh, the dissociative trance disorder. Like I said, I'm not quite ready to, to buy into the, you know, the, the spirits taking over people. But, again, I, I have to be somewhat open-minded if my client were to, you know, tell me those things. Um, Paul, we're going to go to the phone lines in just a second, uh, but before we do that, the book itself, it, I'm assuming it's not written from a technical perspective. It's its written in a way that virtually anyone can, can appreciate the message, right? Yeah. I, I Now, there are some technical parts because I, I, you know, I have to, being the researcher I am, I have to cite research in addition to the stories, but I, I went out of my way to make it as as uh, as reader friendly as possible, I even asked dear old mom, who's not a psychologist, this like, will you read this? And if you can understand it, we'll, we'll go and run to the publisher. And, and she gave the the seal of approval. So yeah, it's, it's not too jargon heavy. I didn't think we we're going to have time for phone calls tonight, and we've had a bunch of people actually wanting to come on, and I wasn't going to take them, but we do have one caller that wanted to share uh, some information with you, Paul, um, and they wanted to remain anonymous for the call. But anyway, caller, welcome to the program. Thank you. Um, I found it really interesting that tonight when uh, I saw the title of the, the stream, I thought, oh, wow, there's a lot of experience that I've had with this. And I just wanted to validate uh, with Dr. Paul that uh, 
there are therapists that do talk about this. It's just it's very, very few. Yeah. And my experience, I'm now like 47, and my experience goes all the way back to when I was 18. Um, I went mm-hmm. into therapy for early childhood trauma, which is now considered complex trauma. Right. And there was a lot of uh, metaphysical, paranormal stuff that I started experiencing um, mm-hmm. early on, and I didn't understand, like, what exactly I was dealing with. And thank God that I had a really good therapist who uh, specialized in dreams and that a lot of people who go through early childhood trauma do experience this, but it's mm-hmm. because it's not talked about, you know, they, they're either medicated or they're overly medicated when yeah. they're really dealing with stuff that is considered woo-woo, and yeah. uh, they're, you know, it's put off as something, it's something of the mind. Um, there was, my therapist did teach me um, how to distinguish, you know, between paranormal and metaphysical abilities with stuff that the mind can actually produce on its own. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting with some of the stuff that I experienced, you know, she said it's it's your mind is very powerful and it can really manifest, you know, things that people would consider ghosts or entities or aliens um, mm-hmm. just because of how much trauma you've experienced. So, but she taught me a lot in how to distinguish between the two, um, right. which was really good because now I don't feel, you know, crazy at the age that I am now. Um, but there are some things that I don't experience now that I did when I was younger. Um, mm-hmm. Thank God, because <laughs> some yeah, of it was yeah. very concerning and very frightening. So, yeah, there, there, are, there are therapists that do talk about it, but it's difficult to find them because it's not like they put that in their descriptions when you go and search for them. Um, right, it's not right. until usually you get into therapy in the session with them and you gain a rapport and you gain confidence that this is the person that can help you, and then, you know, they, you know, uh, disclose that they do specialize in dreams and paranormal and uh, metaphysical abilities. So, mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm just absolutely delighted that you called because every time I hear a call like this, it gives me hope that, there are people, because I know intellectually I know, but intuitively I, I, I wonder sometimes it's like I feel a lot of people are, in my field are so conflicted, and I'm just delighted after all you've been through that you were able to connect with someone who actually cared more about you than their theory or their technique and, and mm-hmm. worked with you as a person. And, and, you know, didn't get hung up on trying to, to adjust what was happening to you to fit some kind of predetermined narrative. And I, I know you probably feel very blessed that you've had that experience. And it, it, I really appreciate you calling and telling us this. Oh, no problem. It was, uh, you know, I kind of wrestled with it, you know, here for the last, like, hour. And then I said, you know, if I can actually share uh, that this does actually happen and that people mm-hmm. are not crazy and they're not, you know, uh, right. going out of their mind that, you know, it's okay. Then if mm-hmm. it could, if it could help one person or, you know, just put more light 
you know, on right. this subject, then it could really help, you know, push the um, push the awareness. Yeah, and and open up the door a little bit more. So, yeah. Well, it did that. And, and again, thank you, caller, for sharing your story with us and for listening. We appreciate that. And uh, I imagine that the caller's story, the caller's scenario is probably a little more common than we'd like to believe. I, I think you're probably right. I, it's one of those things that um, I would love to, to have in a magic uh, realm access to all the therapists you know, practicing, and, and they could fill out, like, anonymous questionnaires. Right. Right. <laughs> we get the real story then, because I, I think I think she is certainly not unique in that realm. Yeah, And thankfully, she found somebody who actually, uh, like you said, Paul, uh, mm-hmm. was more concerned about her than, you know, any particular position of what maybe their personal beliefs would have been. Yeah, just, uh, just that, I'm so glad. That warmed my heart, let me tell you. That's great. When you um, started to research this, and we, we've got about 10 minutes left here and just a few more questions, but when you started to research this, Paul, uh, did you find this stuff was common, that these, these occurrences were happening a lot, or is it, is it very rare? I would say it's, it's very rare, uh, but uh, it's kind of like if you look at statistics, when you say, oh, it's not very significant, but it's still significant. You know, you can have a small significance in a statistical study, and sure. it's still important, and it still matters. I would say it's very rare, uh, but when it happens, boy, does it happen. That's uh, just one of those things. It's like it's pretty memorable uh, for the person who's experiencing it. And to be fair, there may be little stuff going on that maybe our rational minds don't pick up on or we dismiss that, you know, we we might have, if we were looking at it a different way, might have immediately jumped out at us. What do you recommend to somebody who may be seeing a therapist for some of the the, the things we've talked about tonight? Some of these, uh, maybe we will call them paranormal phenomena that might be occurring in their life. They can't explain it. They go to a therapist and they're not happy with what they're hearing. Maybe the therapist completely rules out any kind of, uh, unusual explanations and um, won't even discuss the idea. What do you re- recommend that person do? Well, <clears throat> again, this is a big generalization, but if you've stated, you know, I'm having this issue and you believe it is uh, paranormal and the therapist rules it out and, um, you know, and, and we're trained to do that. We want logical explanations, but it doesn't sit well with you or you're told that there's something wrong with you when you down deep think it's not, why would you not get a second or a third opinion? I mean, we do that in medicine. So my recommendation is uh, start picking up the phone and call around. And uh, if you're worried about, like, you live in a small town, um, you know, if there's within an hour drive, you, you, you don't have to go every week, you know, if you can save up and go, um, you know, every couple of weeks, just to have somebody to talk to that that gets you. So you may call and say, what, what's, what's your um, stance on clients who suffer from strange or paranormal experiences? And you'll know real quick who's comfortable and who's not, because it ain't a question that we usually get. So you'll, 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 tell, you'll hit them off guard and you'll get to hear the real thing. But if you're in a relationship therapeutically with your therapist, and you trust them, 
you, you, you've gotten to, to know that they're there for you, I say, you know, take the, the, the risk and just say, hey, what do you think about this? And you may be pleasantly surprised. The um, profession may uh, be making progress in, in accepting some of these ideas. And we do know, as we've talked about, there are some therapists that are willing to talk about these ideas and um, not going to judge uh, a patient who brings them up. But overall, does the profession, does psychotherapy itself have tools available to it that can actually help people dealing with legitimate paranormal activity? I really, truly think so. And I'm going to tell you why. Now, some of my colleagues will think, no, no, no. But the problem is that they're getting, again, hung up on causes. I, for most of my professional career, my interest was never really on why things happen. I mean, just in general. Mm-hmm. It's more what's happening in the future. So uh, I, I tend to focus on the future in the session because that's the only place where change of any kind can happen. I mean, you know, the, if we talk about our problems all the time, all we've done is to solidify the problem because we keep talking about it. After we've talked about our problems, we've processed them, there has to be some kind of action for change. And I would say that we have the tools to help people when it comes to anxiety, fear, which is common with these kind of things, depression and grief. It's, you know, people who have lost a loved one, even if they think the loved one's trying to contact them. They dealing with grief. All those are tools. We are trained to deal with, here's that word again, emotion. So why would we have to run and hide because someone is experiencing emotion due to a paranormal event rather than a normal event? If you're grief-stricken because your wife ran off and left you for the pool boy, your grief is pretty darn real. But if your grief is is pretty real, it's your, your mom has died, and you still think she comes and visits you, but you want to connect with her more, that's the same emotion. So I just think that maybe people in my field might want to not limit themselves into their own uh, mental chatter about what, you know, what they can do and what they can't, because they already have all the tools. They just need to maybe just release a little bit of judgment, enter their client's world a little bit, and like our caller who was fortunate to have a therapist that made it about the client and not about the therapist the book is called shadows in the session where'd you come up with that name it it just came to me i was uh, someone's asked me that and i wanted to come up with a really cool site well i was i was in a seance and it, but I'm just, uh, you know, you know, i think it's because to me a shadow uh is, is something that you know was, was that a shadow what was that and it's not always just a ghost it could be uh, a shadow of an idea that maybe you dismissed. And it's uh, a lot of times we don't talk about the shadows in the session, which, you know, like my own experience after it happened, we never talked about it again. So, but it was there. It was a shadow. So, and where can people find your book? Uh, if you're interested in my books, uh, it's all the usual cast of characters Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You know uh, those those kind of places, and go to my website. My website's mostly for 
my uh, local therapy practice, but there's a link for my books, and you can get it through there as well. Yeah, and I, I failed to mention you have several other books as well. If if someone is new to your work, do you recommend them start with this book, or is there another one of your books you think that provides maybe a primer on, on these ideas, or are they all do they all stand alone? Well, most of my books are actually in my field of therapy, and they're most of them are written for therapists. So this okay. is something pretty unique. So if you're a therapist, you know, grab this one. If you're a non-therapist, grab this one, because if you're interested in this topic, it's written for both the professional and the layperson to hopefully we could start a good dialogue about this and maybe help the field. Well, your work is noble and, and uh, sorely uh, needed. So thank you so much for everything you're doing, Paul. Well, listen, J.B., this was great, and I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to, to share this message, and it was great talking. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.